Welcome to the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. I'm Brittany Lombos. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And we are recording in my living room in <laughs> Seven Gore, New Orleans for once. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Another day, another week oh, without man. a movie recommendation from anyone who listens to this show, <laughs> which if you want to send them to the inbox at swamplix at gmail.com it is open you're getting a little desperate you're right now. he's getting no, progressively I, <laughs> I think if if someone really was out there listening to this every time we put out an episode you could theoretically email me once a week with a movie recommendation someone else would have to read it out loud maybe i'm a nerd and i'm the only person that want to hear a podcast <laughs> pirate my own opinions back at me but uh someone out there you're nerdy enough talk to us you don't have to say your name. You can make up a like like Mr. Hot Dog yeah. Boy. Yeah, Mr. Hot Dog. We don't know Boy. him, but we know him. Hide behind the internet. I know him more than most people in my life, I think, Mr. Hot Dog Boy. Oh, same. Yeah. Hard same. <laughs> yeah. How's everybody been? Great. It's okay. Yeah, good? pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty nice, yeah. right? Um, an animal got into a transformer somewhere downtown and it shut off a lot of people's power in Do you New think Orleans. It's dead. I would guess so. They said it was an animal. They didn't describe what. So it's either like unrecognizable or it's a mythological creature and they don't want to tell anybody. What if it's stronger than ever and now has right? electric powers? <laughs> yeah, they just don't want us to panic. It's like little raccoon zapping everyone with his little hands. Yeah, I was thinking raccoon or a squirrel. Yeah. yeah. Humans are technically animals, so can't rule that out either. That's, yeah, true. that's true. So you've been working from home since I have the power been working went out? From home. Yeah, all downtown was, was out. Wow. Well, I had off two days from work. Holy shit. Mm. And I spent one day completely in the movie theater. Uh. Very jealous. Actually, I should be doing that sometime this week because I took off some time as well. But yeah, you took off the whole week, didn't you? Yeah. It's a a slow start, but I'm going to cram in some movies with this free time. It was not, man, just something about being in the theater like early in the Mm. day and nobody else is there. I miss that. It's my happy place. I still haven't been back since like, you know, the panty. But I do want to go back to see old. That's like oh my, yeah, that's this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. I'm gonna go see that with my mom on Hell Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been back excited. either. Yeah, it seems since like March of last year, like a mother son thing in old mm-hmm. that you can bond <laughs> yeah. with. I think. Yeah. yeah, y'all gonna come out the same age at the end of it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty stoked for that one. Well, what did you see already in the movie theater? So I started by watching the new Escape Room movie I want to tournament of champions and i really enjoyed it i was a fan of the first one and it's i'd say it's on par i actually think some of the the escape runes themselves are like more creative than in the first one there's one set piece especially in a bank that i thought was really well done and it just has like really likable characters and it's a, it was a really fun time i was surprised that how many children were with their parents <laughs> at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday? Kids love escape rooms, I guess. Maybe. No, they love. They, oh my god, this one one little girl was like so into it, mm. and it was like very cute and kind of annoying because I was I wanted to be alone in the theater, and there were lots of children. <laughs> I am like starving for that movie right now because we we just did all the Cube sequels on yeah. the show mm. last episode. 
and I do not like them. And the whole time I kept thinking like escape room is my ideal version of this. Cause it, it knows what it is and it doesn't take itself seriously, but it's like really fun. And they do, they obviously they set it up for another sequel. I want like four or five of these <laughs> movies. Like it's such a good time. So yeah, I mean, definitely check that one out. And then the movie I was really blown away by that I watched that day was Pig. Hell yeah. Which is the new Nicolas Cage movie. I almost texted you about that movie when I read about it, but I figured it was already on your radar. (laughs) Well, going into it, I I think I watched one trailer and I thought it was just going to be John Wick, but with a pig. I thought it was going to be like this really violent, (laughs) cheesy sort of thing where he tries to get his pig back. And the film is so much stranger than that and really haunting and not at all the tone that I expected from Mm. this movie. Like it kind of blew me away and it's still like violent. It is funny, but it's like philosophical and very surreal and just like one of the most interesting movies I've seen all year. And I I do think it'll probably be on my top 10 because it really is like left an impression on me. So if you get a chance, like really, you should seek this movie out. I feel like that's how Mandy came across too, where like people were excited about like kind of the meme quality of it. Yeah. Uh, and then the movie's a lot weirder and quieter. This one looks even more like subdued, I guess. But yeah, and it's kind of like a buddy sort of road trip movie. But there's also the stuff about food because he's this like disgruntled chef who's moved away from Portland and now he's living in the woods with his pig who hunts for truffles that he sells back to the fine dining restaurants that he kind of created this food scene. And once his pig is kidnapped, he has to go back into the city Mm -hmm. and rescue his pig. And he's sort of this mythical legend. Like everyone knows who he is and Oh my God, he's been gone so long because of some tragedy that happened in his life that slowly gets revealed. And so he's just kind of going around to his old haunts, but there's all this like, weird stuff too where there's like a fight club for <laughs> chefs that like want to beat the shit out of each other after they get off and he also just like caked in blood the whole movie like every fight he gets in he doesn't clean Beef. himself up <laughs> so like that but like that sounds like it would be your typical over the top Nicolas Cage thing right. but it's a very very understated performance and it's like by the end, extremely touching uh, and has a lot to say about loss and this and that. So anyway, should really check out Pig if you get the chance. Sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. It also, I did not see Pig, but it also seems like it has a kind of specific observations about like the culinary world, especially like the kind of world that is built in Portland. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know a lot of movies about... Or I haven't seen a movie about a restaurant like there, that. There's in a, a while. great, my f- favorite scene in the whole movie is like he's trying to find like who stole my pig, like who's using these truffle mushrooms on my menu. He goes to this new avant-garde place that's using foams and experimental stuff, and he sits down with the chef, and he's like, "Why did you decide to do this restaurant? Like, is this the kind of food you want to make?" And it turns out he used to be a sous chef for him. He's like, I remember you wanted to do an English pub. Like, what happened? He's like, oh, well, this is the new, you know, 
cool. We're doing all this cool invented stuff with food. And then he kind of like rails on him and like breaks him down on a human level. Like your heart isn't in this and food should be from the heart. And the man like ends up like in tears. His whole life is devastated with this one conversation. It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. So yeah. um, Check out pig. What about you, Hannah? What have you been watching? So first I saw last year at Marienbad, which is a French Italian film from 1961. I'd wanted to see this for a long time. And I think I had a, like a stray vacation day or something. So I just decided to sit down and watch it. It's about this like resort hotel in Europe. It's very ornate, like opulent, just like velvet floors and like beautiful statues and very cold architectural gardens. And the first 10 minutes of the film is this like droning monologue about um, how this place is like hallways upon hallways. And and, and basically it's like this labyrinth of time. It reminded me a lot of the song Hotel California. Like it was (laughs) this like huge hotel in Europe. And there's this woman she meets this man at the hotel and he is trying to convince her that they had met before at either this place or some other place similar to this one and that they had had an affair and um, she doesn't believe him, but he's like recounting their meeting. And just like the monologue, it's kind of like a cyclical retelling, like he's repeating the same scenes over and over to her. Sometimes the scenes that he's recounting don't totally match up with what you're shown on screen it's just like a very surreal kind of cool like wealthy malaise time time stepping hypnotizing and like gaslighting definitely okay yeah yeah exactly that's and i am like so into that yeah um so yeah it was i thought that was great and then we recently saw zola in the theaters oh yeah yeah i really liked it i i don't know if i Loved it as much as I thought I would. I think the things that stuck out to me the most were how like social media and online culture was integrated into the movie in a, in a cool way. Like when Zola's flipping through. Oh, and so this is based on the Twitter, this famous Twitter thread. I forgot the her actual handle name, but the woman is Zola. And she had this like famous Twitter thread about this trip she takes with this chick she just met and like just bad shit happens florida strip club scene is that yeah it's like florida strip club and like sex work scene both of these women are like living on tumblr and facebook and twitter and that's like they meet for the first time and they're like oh i got your tumblr and your facebook and your twitter and it's like that's the (laughs) and they're like following each other and liking all their posts and when they like a post like the big heart pops up on screen there is this scene where like um later in the movie the chick that took zola to florida is like having men come in she's sleeping she's um sleeping with men in the room and like these emojis are popping up all over them i don't know i just thought it was the aesthetic was very like cool and i'm on the hook yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then the the other thing that stuck out to me was I most movies about sex work that I've seen have a very strong opinion one way or the other like and most of the time it's like this is this horribly damaging degrading way of life and I felt like this film was like more ambivalent it was like 
in some ways these women especially um god i forgot the the white girl's name that brings it riley keogh yeah 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 that's the accent yeah the actress like she's obviously being manipulated by this by her pimp but the stripping scenes are actually pretty loving there's this scene where zola is practicing on the pole in her room and there's no music and it's like very athletic and in the scene where there are like all of these men coming into this white girl's room it's like it's gross and you get the sense of like what it would be like to have sex with a lot of men that you didn't know for money but it's never like oh these women are like their like feet are against the fire and this is like the most degrading thing that a person could go through it's like a pretty it it feels like kind of a complex and fair look at sex work at its best i would say Mm. which i i don't know i think that that's a good thing i don't think that movies have to be showing the debasement of sex work all the time Mm -hmm. that's interesting because i feel like films like either are very against it or like very for it and yeah. like, there's nothing kind of like in the middle because in reality like it's different for every person right. that participates in it and like, they kind of turn the the ones that are like more positive kind of turn the sex worker into like an inhuman like angel right or, like all these right. like horrible things happen to and like they're right like a martyr of right right yeah so that's that sounds really cool yeah yeah i i, I thought that was and it was i mean it felt like it was from the perspective of somebody who did sex work which i and the zola the person that wrote the twitter thread is an executive producer yeah. of the film too because the original director was supposed to be james franco oh and then, geez. oh my uh, god he <laughs> fell out obviously when his no. like accusations came through yeah and the replacement um janiska bravo like worked really closely with yeah. the you know person who wrote the source material yeah cool as hell and yeah he, and he just settled for two million dollars on shit. his like today on his sexual oh, wow harassment or whatever oh, deal wow. so from his like film school thing yeah oh wow so he sucks <sighs> yeah well <laughs> but he could afford it to pay more right but I, yeah but i will say i saw it in theaters and i'm really glad i did because it was fun seeing it with an audience at broad because yeah it was it was very funny it was a good ride yeah her first movie is very funny and like very dark at the same time and like highly stylized she did this movie called lemon with I don't know if she's still with him, but her partner was uh, Brett Gelman at the time. Mm-hmm. And if you know his humor, it's like very like suicidal ideation. Like, I yeah. hate myself. I'm a piece of shit kind of stuff. <laughs> but, you know, she has this very high fashion aesthetic. Right. So it was just him being like a sad sack piece of shit in the middle of this like really beautiful L.A. like pop art um, yeah. arena. Oh, mm. uh, that, that so, sounds great. That's yeah, I'm, nice. I'm very interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brittany, yes. what films have you been watching? Well, uh, the newest thing I've watched and did not like at all is the the new Space Jam movie. Oh. I did not like it either. Oh, good. Because at first I'm like, am I being like this like old like wet blanket of a person? But it was not good. And I just re-listened to you and I discussing the old one because I was <laughs> like, I remember having like positive things to say about it. Yes. And I agreed with us still. <laughs> like uh, the new one did not you know, pull any appreciation from the past for me. It's not like it like ruined the original Space Jam. No, exactly. It, it is Space Jam, but it's not. Like, when I was watching it, I was not really reminded of Space Jam. Yeah. At all. Except for like maybe some basketball stuff. Yeah, it's funny how universally disliked it is. I talked to a lot of coworkers, black, white, young, old, with kids, without kids. And 
universally no one liked this movie, which is, uh, I don't think it's like nostalgia for the original. Um, no, not but, at all. It's so boring. Oh, yeah. Total it's, snooze. Um, so oh, technically it's, it's Space Jam, A New Legacy. So there's one cool part that I liked, and that's a part where like LeBron gets sucked into this like Warner Brothers internet black hole and it just shows like a whole bunch of warner brothers crap like there's a planet for the matrix there's a casablanca planet there's like and then there's like a looney tunes planet like that part was kind of cool just because like i liked recognizing all the stuff Mm -hmm. that warner brothers dealt with even though it was like super cheesy but that was it other than that like i really couldn't keep up with what was happening and didn't really i don't care i don't like baseball i don't but really like, know who LeBron is. Instead of like a simple crossover <laughs> of NBA and Looney Tunes, it's, not. it's like this Warner Brothers universe, uh-huh. like a shared universe sort of thing. My problem with it is they didn't do that enough. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Because like, okay, the first one, like you're saying, it is Michael Jordan as a brand, Looney Tunes as a brand. Let's smash those two things together in the most convoluted, like absurd way possible. Yeah, let's make a shit ton of money. A basketball game in space is what they came up with to like contort <laughs> those two things into one product. Yeah, this one they retrace the exact same steps of the original right down to that halftime pep talk where they're like, "Why are we playing basketball? We're the Looney Tunes. We should do Looney Tunes shit." It's like the same movie except all the Warner Brothers extended universe, all the shit that exists on their servers because they've collected everything Disney hasn't bought. Yeah, is just hanging around in the background watching the game instead of getting involved. So it's like, why are you going to have like Pennywise and the Penguin and the Iron Giant and Baby Jane Hudson and one of the (laughs) nuns from the Devils and like all kinds of these characters that are crazy to see in one space. And they just watch (laughs) the game. They watch the original Space Jam. Iron Giant would be a monster. On the court? On the court? Oh my God, he would destroy. Baby Jane Hudson. (laughs) She is there. (laughs) The whole game. I swear I saw Rhoda Penmark too, but like the background characters are so bland in like this cosplay kind of way. It's hard to tell who's yeah, supposed to be who. I would have to watch that again. I'm not going to watch that again. Don't. To find it. <laughs> not worth it. Um, Some some cool person on the internet is going to do a list, and I'll just read that list. But yeah, like the only person I can see like possibly enjoying it is a kid, young kid, who really likes basketball and really likes LeBron James. Might enjoy it because... A lot of it focuses on like, whoa, it's so crazy that LeBron James is a cartoon. Like, it's more focused on him. And he kind of sucks. Like, he's not good at acting it at all. At all, at all. He has no charisma in this. No charisma. He's so But he has charisma, like, in Trainwreck. And, like, he can pull it off. But he's not... Interested yeah, in it's being like a little cameo, but he's not uh, interested in being vulnerable enough to be entertaining here. Like the entire thing yeah. is about how great he is at basketball and how good he is at being a dad. And yeah. like he shows no like Michael Jordan's like going through some shit in the first movie. He like just came off of his baseball uh run and like he has all these like self doubts and there are all these trips to the psychiatrist with like I think it's like Patrick Ewing and Muggsy Bogues and uh-huh. other characters, maybe Charles Barkley, who are like Worried about their like mojo and like they they lose their talent. I, and I thought that was one of the most entertaining aspects of the original was the NBA players actually brought something to it and were right. actually funny. Yeah, here it's just like a you know big monument to his ego, and he's not. Yeah. Like, Do yeah. you think but. that the the feeling I got from it is they're like, 
everyone likes Space Jam. And that's true. Like, I've never met anyone. <laughs> everyone in a certain age range likes Space Jam. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But And they're like, all we have to do is, like, make a movie that is somewhat Space Jam and reflects back to a lot of shit in Space Jam as an instant moneymaker because people will watch it just because it says Space Jam on it. And I really think, like, there was just no, like, really good thought put into it. Like, the plot was weird. It didn't make sense. Like, that whole part where it's like, I'm going to challenge him to a baseball game, a basketball game. Huh? Cool. And I'm like, well, this makes no sense. Like, it was it was just strange. And, like, mm-hmm. it just, ugh. Sounds like if they could have touched on LeBron's, like, vulnerability, like you said, like, there's always this, oh, he's the greatest of all time, except for Michael Jordan. Right. That's something to play with there. Yeah. And he yeah. also is like kind of like, you know, Michael Jordan, when it came time for like the NBA finals, championship games, mm-hmm. always won. LeBron has not had that track record. Like he's dropped the ball a few times. And if they like touched on that, like, oh, are you going to be that LeBron when you yeah. face it? Well, it could have, you know, there's something interesting there, but obviously they're, mm-hmm. they're that could not going to do that. And I know I kind of wish that like the reason he had to play the basketball game to win would be that he somehow made friends with like Bugs Bunny in a weird way. And like in order to save Bugs Bunny and like release all the cartoons back to their world, he would have to win the game for them. Like that would have been cool. Not this weird thing with his kid. Yeah, he's mostly just trying to be a great dad. World's greatest dad. But he's like not. Basketball player. Yeah, he like <laughs> shit on his kid for like making com- a computer game. Ugh. But yeah, anyways, um, don't recommend it at all. It's boring, like yeah. you said. What it's a bummer. so lame. I of know. all the things that Space Jam should be boring, it's not. Yeah. It should be so obnoxious right. <laughs> that you're like, just like completely under um, right. overwhelmed by like, it. Like overstimulating. Yeah. So the other movie I watched is quite older. Yeah, 1955, The Night of the Hunter. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, Jimmy, that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, is it? Yeah. That's so oh, good. Wow. So um, I was trying to like find some good Shelley Winters flicks, and <laughs> I found this one. It's on Tubi for free. Weird. Yeah, insane. <laughs> Um, Watching that movie with commercial breaks sounds absolutely oh, bizarre no. to me. <laughs> yeah, oh my! It, it's such like a like a high intensity movie. So yeah. every time like a commercial break hit, and it was always one for like Progressive Insurance. <laughs> and, oh. But yeah, um, Night of the Hunter. Glad y'all know it. Know what it's about. But I really find movies to be terrifying whenever there's like a grown ass adult like um, being a creep to kids. Yeah. And that's what this whole movie is about. Very fair. And the um, the serial killer that this movie's based on was one of those uh, Lonely Heart ad killers. Oh. Which kind of, I'm like, well, maybe that's why I like the vibe of this. Because, like, The Honeymoon Killers was one of my favorite movies. And that's um, also, like, you know, a Lonely Heart killer-based film. But anyway, so quick. I guess plot about this movie. There is this psycho posing as a preacher who like, not, I don't know. I don't know if he was posing or if he like really believed himself because he's like psychotic and like really thought he was like, you know, the voice of God on earth. But he tracks down this family that has, you know, they're missing a father. There's two kids, widowed woman, Shelly Winters. And, the father 
um, has been hung at this point. Like he um, robbed a bank, got $10,000, gave it to his son and said, you know, take this money, hide it, use it to take care of your sister because your mom's stupid. Like, don't tell her about this because she's dumb. Like horrendous. Shelly Winters gets shit on this whole movie and it's so sad. And then he like gets hung and the guy that he's in prison with is the preacher. He got like arrested for stealing a car or something like that. And he knows that there's like this big hunk of cash over at this guy's family. So he kind of manipulates his way into like marrying the widow. And then he starts hunting for this money and (laughs) he knows that the kids know. So he's an ultra creep towards them and is very violent and is like definitely willing to murder them to find it and this like whole like cat and mouse chase between him and these two kids is like super creepy very bone chilling and i think my favorite like character and part of the movie is whenever they escape by boat and then they find this like lady who protects them with a shotgun oh my god (laughs) so yeah uh, i really really liked it and I would love to know what y'all all think about it because everybody was super excited whenever I said the title. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's all about Robert Mitchum. That performance yeah. is a chiller. Ugh. Yeah. What a creep. And I just want to say, I think I've already mentioned this for mm-hmm. the record. Uh, I am related to Robert Mitchum mm-hmm. on a very uh, removed, <laughs> I, I forget what it is. My like grandmother's great great grandfather's grandfather's second cousin. cousin or some bullshit. It's but not anyway. second. I think it's closer than second cousin. All right. Anyway, wow. I love Robert Mitchum. I love this movie. That scene where he's you know singing that leaning, <laughs> leaning, it's leaning like, on Jesus. <laughs> yeah, like stalking these children, and it's so like atmospheric and oh, chilling. Oh yeah, it's the director's only movie, a one and done. Why, right, really? which is insane, depressing. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. Like we could do a whole episode on this movie. We were I, supposed to like pre-pandemic. The next episode that we were going to meet in person for, because you had just discovered this Robert Mitchum connection. Yeah, we were all going to pick a Robert Mitchum movie, and then um, we started doing it in Skype, and you weren't doing those for a minute, and yeah, it just kind of fell apart. Well, I would still like still to come up in the air. Back yeah. to him because I've seen quite a few of his movies now, and I think Ooh. he's one of my favorite actors from this time period. I don't think I've seen him in anything well than this. He was, um, by all accounts, an alcoholic and a nice guy. <laughs> he yeah. played a lot of alcoholic bad guys. In yeah. Movies. <laughs> okay. And one war antihero was that out of the past. Yeah. I need to see that. That's, it looks it classic. Was so good. Yeah. Oh, that was a good one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So many good ones. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. They're just, Night of the Hundred. <laughs> Cousin just, Robert. <laughs> it has so many like classic moments and then moments that I, that just kind of float into my mind that I forget were in this movie. Like even the ending w- with the riot in town, I think yeah. is memorable. Like the, the shades of morality and justice. And then the, I mean that monologue, obviously where he's talking about, he is tattooed on his Oh, the knuckles, love and love the and hate. hate. And love comes in. I, I mean, I don't remember what the monologue is. <laughs> I can't recite it. But, it, you know, it's just these, like, very powerful, mm-hmm. emotional, and gripping. I don't know. It's just, I think, and I think it's an amazing film, especially for that time period. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like I said before, I saw it on Tubi, and it was so vibrant. <laughs> this black and white Tubi movie. 
I would love to see a cross list of movies on Tubi that are also on the Criterion channel. Like, there's got to be some <laughs> oh overlap there. I've got there. like five. Yeah. I don't know offhand, but I've like seen several because, yeah, whenever um, they have like the Barnes and Noble Criterion sale, like I always make a list and I'm like, are they available for free? I can kind of wait mm-hmm. to get this one. And I'll be like, nope, Tubi, 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 Tubi. With Tubi, <laughs> like for certain types of movies, like, I don't know, like Problem Child 2 that I think I watched on. The ad breaks like sounds like it. Don't I don't matter. Know. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. It's like you're watching it on TV back in the day. But mm-hmm. something like Night of the Hunter, that's so jarring. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was kind of nice because like it was like let me like collect my thoughts, and I'm like, whoa, true, yeah, <laughs> a lot going on. It's like ten intermissions, you know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like I don't know, the older I get, the more I pee. So well, it's kind of nice just yeah. to get pee breaks. But for me, the like. I don't know if it's maybe my internet connection or something, but like the ads are never right at the end of a scene. It's oh, always no, it's so yeah. arbitrary. It's like mm-hmm. one or two seconds before, or then it's like one or two gotcha. seconds into a you scene, right. and and then it jumps back into. Yeah. I feel like it could. And TV be a did bit it better because they would fade out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, those are the two big ones I've seen. Man, those are uh, totally different. <laughs> Very different. Yeah. <laughs> a, um, In quality, for sure. Night of the Space Jam. Uh, <laughs> Space Hunter is a movie Space I would oh, watch. Oh man, what if Ooh. Warner Brothers had bought the rights to Night of the Hunter? And he's just in the background, <laughs> honestly, not oh, outside the realm of possibility. Could potentially be there. He's stalking LeBron's children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your dad oh, never boy. loved you, did he? Um, oh lord. Well, Brandon, what have you been watching? Um, I have an old one and a new one too. Oh cool. I, I watched Disclosure from 1994 the other day. Sure. Uh, it's another Michael Douglas sex oh. thriller. Oh. Would you, I I grew up on that movie. My mom owned a copy of it on VHS, so we might have different opinions, but I really like it. I love erotic thrillers, and you know the Michael Douglas ones are like the primo examples oh, yeah. of them. Like that is like the like central text is that omnibus. This one I thought was great. There's Good. not a lot of sex in it. None of it is consensual. So if you're in it just for the erotic part, like you must have been a very frustrated child. What I remember more is like the weird internet yes. virtual reality stuff. That's what made it amazing. To yeah. Me. I mean, basically he is a asshole computer programmer who spends like the first 25 minutes basically talking bullshit about like women jumping the corporate ladder ahead of him, like getting jobs that he deserves and like how the man's place in the workforce is shrinking. And mm-hmm. uh, he like pats his like secretary on the butt playfully like when she does stuff for him he's basically just like a sexist jerk Mm -hmm. and then all that stuff comes onto him like a thousandfold when demi moore who he has had a past like very steamy relationship with which sounds like a whole other michael douglas erotic thriller movie that we didn't just get to see she comes in and sexually harasses him she like forces him into the sexual encounter because she's his boss now and um he says no a bunch and eventually gets out of there and then decides to sue for sexual harassment. And a lot of the movie is mediation between the two of them back and forth in boardrooms, trying to clear up what is and what isn't consent based on like male physiology, like how he got hard during the encounter and like the power dynamics there. And yeah, there's a lot of that, but there's also, you know, it's a computer program office um, who are developing a new CD-ROM technology (laughs) and also this virtual reality world that they build where this is so fucking ridiculous. They can build any environment they want in all of the universe. Like your uh, imagination is your only right. limitation. And they build a hallway with a filing cabinet. Files. <laughs> yeah. 
And oh, the climax of the movie is him trying to access files to like prove her a liar while this like gridded out matrix version of her is like deleting stuff like this like terminator character wow. oh it's incredible you know i feel like we should do an episode uh, this movie and like lawnmower man Classic. is the other one that mm. jumps out to me <laughs> like there's something about vr man. yeah something about this vr in the early 90s i've been wanting to watch ghost in the machine which is um rachel Toledo. Oh, yeah that looks pretty similar too there's something there yeah i'm on board i had so much fun with the like bullshit cell phones and emails and vr and cd-roms like oh. Wide-eyed wonder at the early internet uh, and like terror at like what you can do for it. Um, I I also feel like like Michael Douglas movies are erotic thrillers or like about corporate greed. So this feels like another just like it's both. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> also, it. it's really cool to see Demi Moore play a villain. I don't feel like she got a chance to really play that kind of character very often. Yeah, and she gets a couple good monologues in where like. I mean, what she does is reprehensible, but she's like, I'm just playing your game. I'm doing what you do to people yeah. every day. You're just mad because a woman's doing it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, it is kind of like way she's right. The corporate male chauvinist, like worst nightmare. It's like a woman mm. that can give it right back to him. But you can also read this kind of war of the sexist thing as like an MRA movie where it's like, you know, men get assaulted too. So the movie's kind of playing it both ways. Like, but if you despise him in the first 25 minutes... Uh, you were on board with everything that happens, I think. <laughs> if you identify with him, um, I don't know, it's a different movie and I can't relate to <laughs> what you saw. But I cannot speak to that experience. Yeah. The other one is new and I want to recommend it specifically to Brittany. Ooh. Um, it's called The French Exit or just French <gasps> oh! Exit. Oh, yeah. Probably my favorite movie I've seen all year so far. Oh, sounds like what the French will call like a bowel movement or something. Oh, The French Exit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's normally called an Irish Exit. Right? When you take a shit? No, when you no, leave when you... something early. Oh, that's different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, well, there is like a, a poop term. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. If we force you into watching Barb and Star, this is my next project for you to watch this Darn. movie. It's Michelle Pfeiffer kind of doing that like drunk, bitchy camp she was doing in Mother, but like the entire time. Yeah. Like, she barely leaves the screen in this movie. Ugh. And when she's not on screen, Lucas Hedges is her son and he's kind of impersonating her and learning her ways. Oh my God. I love whenever kids do that and they have like drunk moms. Yes. <laughs> he's trying to be the best drunk mom he can be. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> they're both these like rich kind of gossip girl. Like she used to be like an it girl in like the seventies. And now she's um, an heiress. Like her husband died, but she spent all the money from his, like his fortune's just gone. Gotcha. Uh, and she decides that she's going to sell off the last of the goods that she owns, just like deplete their like beautiful house in New York and spend the rest of that cash in Paris. And when she runs out, she's going to kill herself. Whoa. And she um, does not really want to live anymore. So she's spending this cash like wild. Giving it away to homeless people. Yeah. Just what? tipping oh, waiters like hundreds of the dollars. true French exit. That's awesome. And um, Lucas Hedges is just along for the ride. And as she's living this like kind of morbid but fabulous life in Paris. She just collects more and more weirdos until their apartment is just full of like quirky kind of post-Wes Anderson caricatures. Um, And they have all this witty like stage play kind of banter. And I don't, I can't say this is for everyone, but if you're on this movie's wavelength, every facial expression and every line had me like cackling with laughter. Like there's a scene where she's just sharpening a knife in the dark in the kitchen with like all the lights off that had me screaming laughing and I cannot tell you why. Like it's just this kind of like low key drag routine that she's doing 
that if you're like clued into it, it is fabulous. It is so good. Yeah, that's why I I love movies where there's just like like a really rich alcoholic or just yeah yeah. I, I thought of know, you like like Blue Jasmine things like that. Just like these over dramatic characters <sighs> or like yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer's good at playing that because I don't know if you remember that movie she played in called What Lies Beneath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she gets possessed and turns into like what it sounds like she kind of might be in French Exit. And I feel like she's been <laughs> gone since then. And like when Mother came out, it was like exciting to see her yeah. again. And like this yeah. really follows through on that. Also, one more thing, because I know y'all have seen this as well. There's a very important cat. And I will not say any more about that. But yeah. there's a cat plays like a central role in the plot Ooh, too, which okay. I know would pique your interest. So. Yeah. Sign me up. I'm, I'm ready to watch this. Yeah, I... I did like it. The way you were describing it, it kind of made me think about Pig again, where there's certain movies where, like you said, you got to get on their wavelength or it's just not going to work for you. I think with this one, I couldn't quite get on its wavelength, but I appreciated how strange Mm. it was. And like you said, this collection of weirdos and their scenes in the apartment where it's just so absurd and the banter is over the top. Yeah. so and, and in that same way, Pig, I think, is a similar thing. Like either you get it or you don't. And it, it seems like you really, really enjoyed it. Love it. Yeah, I think that the way you describe the dialogue is like stage play. I think that that I was like not totally on board with that for that for this movie. I don't know. It doesn't always bother me, but like I felt a little disconnected from it. But Michelle Pfeiffer is fucking amazing. She's eating this she, up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's delicious. I mean, every time she's on screen, it's great. There's like, there's just a scene where she's in a f- uh, cafe with Lucas Hedges and she's like trying to get the waiter's attention and they're like blowing them off because they're married. And she just like lights the flower on her table on fire. And stares him down. Yeah. She's like, can I get the check, please? And it just said <laughs> like those, oh, she's like ruthless. I, I mean, I think a big part of why I couldn't quite get on board was Lucas Hedges' character where like he has this great loving girlfriend that he just leaves behind so he can go with his mom to France. And he just like is kind of a dick. And I understand that he's trying to, like you said, play. He learned everything he knows from her. Yeah. But like I found his character way less fun to watch and less interesting than the Michelle Pfeiffer. He had some of my favorite lines in the movie though. Like Mm. the mortician... Where he's like, thank you for showing me this. Uh, that was a good scene. <laughs> or like, I like that. Uh, the arm wrestling scene where he like arm wrestles oh, yeah. his girlfriend's <laughs> yeah. new boyfriend. The guy, He just keeps letting the guy yeah. win over and over again. And he's like, congratulations. You're the big winner. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> oh, man. I could just go over like moments because that's what the movie really was mm-hmm. to me. Like every moment. Yeah. Just had me like screaming. I was laughing so hard. I literally just set an alert in my phone to watch <laughs> it. So. I got it from the library on DVD. Oh, so awesome. It's yeah. still like VOD rental right now, but the library had it for free. Yeah. Awesome. I'm all about that library rental life. Yeah. Mm. Go get it's a it. wonderful service. You just have to wait weeks sometimes. So it's kind of hard to like <laughs> yeah. sit on the anticipation. But they'll have like fun stuff to pick at when you wait, while you're waiting. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. I'm going to be probably in that same state of excitement this entire episode. Uh, this was Brittany's <laughs> selection today, but um, this is very much my shit. Yes. Uh, so we watched four movies all on the same topic. Maybe it'll go a little faster than the last couple episodes we did because there is kind of a sameness to them a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I'm very excited because I love this genre so much, especially oh, after this week. Same. Yeah. I'm, I'm still floating. Floating from it. And you know, one thing that I loved about these four movies is that only one of them, I I think, actually mentioned Dracula. 
So there yeah. is diversity in in these movies. Even, yeah, but there is a there is a safeness. Yeah, and they have a very different source material than most vampire movies than Dracula, which yeah. we'll definitely get into. Uh-huh. Yeah. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. She kidnapped young girls and kept them chained to give blood. Blood for her to bathe in and drink. No. And she hung them up by the wrists and whipped them until their tortured flesh was torn to shreds. Oh, yes, that's it. And she clipped off their fingers with shear. No. She pricked their bodies with needles. Yes. Yes, she tore out their nipples with silver pincers. And she bit them everywhere. No. And then she pushed white-hot pokers into their faces. And when they parted their lips to scream, she shoved the flaming rod up into their mouths. Stop it. Oh, yeah, yes, go on, go on. She pierced their veins with rusty nails and slit their throats. Stop it! A couple of months ago, which it could be a year, I don't know. I lost my sense of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched this movie called Daughters of Darkness, and I completely fell in love with it, and it, it was on 2B TV. <laughs> In beautiful quality. Yeah, it's like gorgeous. HD. The quality on Tubi is highly underrated. Yeah. And I was like, what? You know, at first I thought it was just going to be like one of those like dime a dozen early 70s, like cheese ball gothic like, vampire movies. And it totally wasn't. And I loved it so much. So I thought like it'd be cool if we watched this and some other lesbian vampire mm-hmm. films. So there's a lot of lesbian vampire films out there so i know we picked four today but there's a lot more than four we picked like four of like the the top yeah you came in with daughters of the darkness and we were kind of overwhelmed with picking other stuff so we just found a list like 12 best yeah. les- lesbian vampire movies and we each picked one off and of they're that. like all from the same time frame pretty much yeah. yeah so daughters of darkness is this just gorgeously filmed movie that kind of blends in old world and new world at the same time like it's very old world in its style but very new world with like its aspects of glamour and just its use of like color and vibrancy the plot of it essentially is there's two newlyweds stefan and valerie yeah why do Mm -hmm. i want to say victoria um i guess victoria victorian vampire um (laughs) So Stefan and Valerie are these two newlyweds and while they're out on their honeymoon, they end up in this gorgeous, like empty seaside um, hotel in Belgium and it's off season. So there's like literally no one at this hotel. So they kind of have like the place themselves and the vast majority of this movie takes place in this hotel. And I love movies that like kind of take place in the same like, you know, building where it feels like you're kind of trapped with them the whole time. It, it, I don't know. It's not, it reminds me of like how Clue kind of gives those, you know. Yeah. And this one's like a vibes. big empty hotel. So it's almost like it's a castle, but yeah. it's just like really well lit. It's like yes. the difference, but it echoes in the same way. And like no one's there. So it's kind of eerie. It's yeah. Like, it kind of gave me like the shining vibes yeah. Definitely. Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Just the placement of it is, it's just, it was the perfect place to film this movie. And, like, having it on the seaside and, like, all these, like, splashes of the ocean at night and everything, it's just, it creates this awesome ambiance. Well, while they're hanging out in this seaside motel that's pretty empty, 
Elizabeth Bathory comes in. Um, and she is this gorgeous, gorgeous um, countess. And she has like these like super like fire engine red nails, mm. um, bright red lipstick and like blonde, blonde hair and like really pale skin. So like her nails and her lips just really shoot out. And she has like the coolest wardrobe ever. She has like this dress that she comes in with later in the movie where it's like sil- silver sequin or almost like silver lame turtleneck. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know what material that was. Yeah, it seemed like like it's like the full head to toe, like silvery circle sequinish. It shines like a disco ball, but yeah. it also looks like liquid almost. Like it's right. so very slinky. Slinky, yeah. yeah. I, I think about it all the time. Mm. <laughs> so she's played by um, Delphine. Sir- I can I don't know if I pronounce her last name. You probably can, right? No, Sirig. <laughs> Sirig. No sure. one is stepping up to the. Plate. I know she plays John Dealman in the. Um, classic art film jean dielman she's just like no she's like a very prominent like figure in like french film and like society in general um but she's super super beautiful well she arrives and she's you know her name is you know elizabeth bathory countess elizabeth bathory which is you know the countess that from like late 16th century that would like Mm -hmm. bathe in virgin blood to stay young Mm. um so obviously she's doing that because she looks great well she arrives with her assistant Alona, who has this like really cute like 1920s like flapper haircut mm-hmm. and apparently in an interview with the film's director harry kumel he modeled her after louise brooks yeah louise brooks and styled the countess as marlene dietrich and she oh, is nice. performing marlene dietrich the whole movie yeah. totally but like half asleep and very breathy like She's like Marlena Dietrich on like Quaaludes or something. She's barely awake, <laughs> uh, yeah. but she's so horny. No, no, no. Oh, it's great. <laughs> so she has that style. And also, like, I kind of looked at it and I'm like, I've seen this before and kind of like doing some research on the internet about like this specific style of the Countess in this movie. Lady Gaga in American Horror Story Hotel has the same vibe as her as this like, you know, vampire that is like this sort of like high fashion old Hollywood mm-hmm. type countess. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So obviously some some influence there. Well, she immediately sets her eyes on Valerie and Stefan, more so Valerie. And as the film kind of keeps moving, we kind of find out like Valerie doesn't really know that much about Stefan. Um, and he's kind of this like big old asshole, right? And the more she's kind of, like, getting to know how he really is, like, the more it's apparent to her that he's not the best guy. And it kind of seems, I don't know why she married him, but it was, like, a quick young marriage. Like, hey, we're young. We're dumb. Let's get married. But I remember, like, and it could be just me, but she, like, talked a lot about, like, you know, wanting to know more about, like, his family and this manner mm-hmm. and stuff. So I'm like, did she marry him to, like, some get some kind of, like, money or security? I mean, at first he... Which I'm all for. At first, he was like kind of a dick in the movie. And as it goes on, you could tell he actually really gets off on violence. Yeah, it's just like- and by the end of the movie, he's just outright like beating her. And the movie makes it look like S&M, like kind of sex, but there's nothing consensual about it. Oh, it's no. just like whipping her with a belt. And, yeah. yeah, he's horrific. Well, and then we find out. So Stefan is, doesn't want to like, not like he doesn't want to, but he kind of 
doesn't openly allow her to talk to like his family and she really wants to like meet her mother-in-law and we find out who mother is and it's this fabulous man who like is like lying out in a hammock with a lily in his hand in the backyard mother so he's like on the phone pretending to talk to his mom and he's really talking to this man so we kind of like have the idea that like you know, maybe he's bisexual. Obviously, he was in a relationship with this, like, older gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, this really, you know, flamboyant older gentleman. Especially because, like, whenever um, the housekeeper brings the phone to him, he's like, oh, it's Master Stefan. So, known. Like, I'm like, they must have lived together. It's like a something. sugar daddy situation. Yeah. 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 Like a live-in houseboy kind of dynamic. That's what I was thinking. Also, he looked really pale. He looks like a vampire. Right. So I'm almost wondering if, like, he's a vampire and, like, is Stefan somewhat, like, in this vampire thing because he loves, like, watching people get tortured and he he loves inflicting pain on people. a lot about, like, the Elizabeth Bathory lore, too, and he was, like, all into it. Right. So I don't know if he was, like, in the the works of becoming, like, a vampire or something. That seems read like a spell that she put him under yeah. to me like he starts recounting what he knows about elizabeth bathory and it's kind of these like surface details mm-hmm. and then she starts kind of caressing him and yeah. egging him on and then, he's like, and then mm-hmm. more and more like gruesome details yeah. of like what she would do to her victims well, start pouring out of him actually i guess that was it i also didn't know if his escalating violence was her influence or you know it, i felt yeah. like because that is when it shifted right after yeah. he was put under the spell yeah is I, when he became oh you know overtly violent i yeah. almost think that like she did that too because like well at the same time that all this is happening at the hotel there's like three young girls who have been murdered in villages like around this this hotel and i kind of thought that she was doing that because in, obviously it was her killing these girls but like in a way to kind of frame him because he's very suspicious and like, mm. you know, the, the police are kind of suspicious of him and he like arrives at the scene of like one of the murders and is like really like into it, like a big old weirdo. And then I'm like, Oh, is she like trying to like get him horned up to get more violent and then put her assistant in that position to like, cause she's done with her assistant. So Alona, is obviously like her vampire lover slash secretary and and she's kind of tired of her and wants like valerie instead so it's kind of like how can i get rid of her and then i'm like oh my god are you gonna try to like get him to kill her so that he gets caught and then all the murders are blamed on him and then like he goes away so does alona you can take valerie Hmm. i don't know sure throwing it i don't know (laughs) why not i i don't know like to that point i also kind (laughs) of kind of read and I guess I don't fully know the characters like national backgrounds. Like he is European, but don't they, they make a point that he was raised in America and like, there was something to that, like this, like American raised guy coming over to Europe mm, mm-hmm. and then like sort of the violence inherent in him is brought out by mm. these spells and I, I was kind of not like that it's a political film at all, but I was reading yeah. a little bit of subtext there of like the Never European like yeah, glamour and right in the old world. Right. And then this like, like new brute American, American violence, violence yeah. coming in. I, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting little hmm. subtext there. Yeah. Because even if the vampire queen character is like violent, it's in this very 
seductive, like mm-hmm. quiet kind of way. Mm-hmm. She like lures people, but she doesn't really do anything explosively violent. No, during the movie, she feeds on someone once they're already cut open, but uh, <laughs> she doesn't like smash it. people over the head or whip them with a belt. Yeah, like, during and sex. maybe that is the point of like the difference between the American style of violence and the or European also maybe. macho femme kind of. Right, like, she did smash. Yeah, she stuff. did smash his head with a big old crystal bowl. But he well, after he it. fucking yeah. attacked them. <laughs> yeah. But I guess like she, right. He deserved it, but she's still smushed. Um. And then it just happens to ever so gracefully fall and slit his wrist. Uh, right, and, like, beautiful. That was hilarious. His, and then he's like exploding with blood. Yeah, doesn't the bowl crack in half and the yeah, two halves one, slit each wrist? Yeah, yeah. So while magically wide open. fortuitous. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, and one where like I really picked up on what I think might be the point of it, um, and I could be wrong. I've been very wrong about this kind of stuff before. Is whenever um, he brings Alona's body to the beach to bury her and both the Countess and Valerie are there as well. And there's that moment where he's like digging the grave in the sand and Alona's dead body gets pushed onto him. And like, you know, Valerie starts pushing the sand in. It's like, oh, they're going to bury his ass alive. And also... While this is kind of happening, there's this fabulous cape that she's wearing and she just... Oh, that image is mm, amazing. So good. It's a classic like... (laughs) Almost Batman style cape. Yeah, yeah. it's bat wings. Yeah, yeah. but bat it's got wings. sequins on the other side. Oh lord. Um, or Lemay. I it don't know what a great sequins are. Lemay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a moment where it's like, "This is it. You could kill him." And then Valerie kind of snaps out of it. And throughout this whole movie, it's like both of them are trying to like control her. Like you know, the Countess is trying to control Valerie for selfish mm. purposes, a hundred percent. Like no one has her interest in heart. Stefan is horrible to her and is super controlling and you know she kind of teeter tots between both of them until she like truly finds her freedom in the end yeah but yeah spoiler alert the ending where she like essentially just embodies the countess she even has her voice I'm like is she truly free or is she is her body possessed yeah I don't know she hit that stake and Went up in right. That was honestly one of my favorite things of the movie is like they're driving away, you know, they're trying to beat the sunlight and then the sunlight comes and she takes her hand off the wheel and it's like weaving back and right. forth. Like, first of all, that's not how that works. You don't take your hand <laughs> no, off the wheel and start swerving all over the like, road. Are we making out? <laughs> like, and then they're like... Yeah, and then she gets launched like into a stake, <laughs> and then the car just explodes. Yeah, because she's of... one with the car. It was so over the top. The violence in this movie was one of my favorites. Was... Oh, good. Because it was kind of silly. Like the thing with the the glass cutting Stefan's wrist yeah. it was so stupid. You kind of laugh. I kind of laughed at it, but I don't know. That was like entertaining to me. Yeah, it was just off the wall. Like they're two separate scenes where the car lights on fire like it lights on fire and then there's another <laughs> shot where it's like all crumpled like the husk of a car and then it's clear that someone's put like lighter fluid or something all around it and then they light it on fire again and it's just like so delicious so i'm picking up that everyone liked this movie oh yeah yeah Did, i thought yeah. it was great good <laughs> i i mean i i think the f- things i liked most about it was i thought that it looked really beautiful i thought I mean, y'all have touched on the costumes, Mm -hmm. but I think it had this like sort of expressionistic Mm -hmm. um, vibe to it that I really dug. And a thing we haven't touched on yet is like, it is funny. Yeah. There's moments of like genuine humor 
that really like brought me into the film. So yeah, yeah, I did I did enjoy it. Yeah. Awesome. I love when the count whenever the countess is talking to Valerie and they're both like droning in these Eastern European accents. It's like, ah, oh, Valerie, someday you will love me as I love you. <laughs> oh no, what are you talking about? It's like very meditative. I don't know. I just thought it was like just visually it is a fantastic. for how violent it is. It's very calming. Yeah. Which is the same kind of vibe in all of these and i really did fall in love with this genre in a way that like i'm gonna be so repetitive and saying the same thing for each of them which is like these are all so cool Mm -hmm. and so highly stylized like they just look amazing Mm -hmm. and they're also just melancholy and like quiet and sad so like yeah there are these like really campy like violence um moments and like there's like intentional humor as well but also, like, so much of it is, like, stillness and just sort of, like, waiting for something to happen. And there's this, like, slow seduction to it. Yeah, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't even know if I would recommend watching all four of these movies in a row. Because that could be, like, patience testing um, at this length, I think. But it works individually in each of these movies very yeah, well. Some are more high energy than others. So I think if you, like, position the high energy ones... Mm-hmm sandwiched in between some of the I, low I think energy. they all had the slow yeah. pacing, so I'm kind of curious which one you think Honestly, is high Honestly, I mean, we watched them within a few days. Yeah. And it was, I thought it was great. Yeah. It totally worked. One thing I will say, though, about the the dialogue is very stilted in this one. And in this one, it works. It's like very cool to me. There's a film we're going to talk about later where I think the stilted, almost stagey stage play sort of stuff like took me out of Mm -hmm. the film but it works in daughters of darkness and i think daughters of darkness is like a little more playful too like you know for instance the violence is like totally over the top and i think Mm -hmm. there are these moments where the countess is kind of like i mean she's just always kind of smirking i think the stilted not that it's self-aware but it's like not taking itself super seriously all the time so it just kind of like added to the mood. I think the one thing it does exceptionally well is like how seductive it is too. Mm-hmm. Like she is seducing. I mean, I guess this is like bisexual vampirism and not lesbian vampirism, but she's like seducing both members of this couple. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, her goal is to win over the woman's heart and like lure her away from the sky. But she's talking to him in the same kind of way where it's not like a typical heterosexual kind of dynamic where she's like, telling him to reach deep in himself where the light never shines and like tries to pull all these like hidden desires out of him. And it, mm-hmm. it reads like lesbian sex. Like it's like this like a long, like luxuriant kind of like hmm. sexual dynamic between the two of them. Yeah. And I found just her whole vibe, like running the show to be like that the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like it is almost like hypnotic and like um, putting <clears throat> you under a spell along with them. Yeah. Um, I do like it's genuinely sexy too. Like I find her character like fun and sexy. Yeah. Well, it's funny too that like it was very easy for her to manipulate Stefan. Like it takes that one scene where he's kind of under her spell, but with Valerie, it's sort of a long game, and you know there's tension where she's like, no, no, I can't, and I thought that was that was interesting too. And I don't really, I didn't really feel like ultimately she was exactly tricked by the countess in the same way it's like the countess definitely had this mesmeric pull on her but she's also like yeah you're right like stefan sucks 
and like this is kind of a cool situation so i'm you know it was like it wasn't like oh i'm just this like hapless fool and i'm totally under your grips like it felt more consensual it's almost like she was like that like first step she needed to take to like just getting the fuck out of all of that (laughs) you know yeah sometimes we just need someone to nudge us Mm -hmm. might be the countess I also like to, if you're going to talk about like the visual style of it, it does like the most obvious thing possible, which is like it really accentuates the letter red as much as it can. Oh, yeah. So all the hotel decor has this like vibrant reds in it. And when she's not wearing that disco ball dress, she also wears like a ton of red capes (laughs) and like things like that. Uh, Um, And her nails, like you said. There's like the same cut scene over and over where it just fades to red oh yeah that's right the movie True. actually fills the, the frame with the red multiple red. times yeah. <laughs> yeah which is you know passion and it's also just the color of blood uh and it's so obvious to do in a vampire movie but like it's done so beautifully here and like especially in this like restored hd print of it like it just looks gorgeous no rest for the vampire lovers no escape till their evil hearts are still for all eternity. If one remains, yes, even one, there will be thousands more. Beware. Beware the cold caress, the kiss that kills. Beware the vampire lovers. So my pick was the vampire lovers, which is a British film. It's um, part of the, uh, actually a trilogy of vampire films by produced by Hammer Films. Um, it was directed in 1970 by Roy Ward Baker. And there were probably other movies that were specifically inspired by Carmilla, but this was a pretty, adapta- pretty faithful adaptation of the novel Carmilla, which was written in 1872 by Sheridan Lyft. I think it's Le Fanu. He's an Irish author. And it actually, Brandon pointed this out a couple days ago, but it was actually written before Dracula. By like mm-hmm. two decades. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like 20 something. Yeah. 26 years. Yeah. So um, this, and the, um, I read the novel uh, a couple years ago for one of my, for a class I took called Monstrous Women in Film and Literature, which was a great class you mentioned this a bunch of times and i want this like syllabus right yeah it was a great that i actually have a list of like all of the movies and books that we watched and read and then all of the other like possible titles that this professor swamp school and like (laughs) yeah oh my gosh (laughs) the that professor her name is dr laura marks and she was just amazing she's not listening to this but i hope she will um (laughs) so um carmilla is about this, I think she's an Austrian. Her name is um, Markala, Markilla, Marcilla, Marcilla, yeah, Karnstein. She's this old vampire that, like, she kind of roams around finding um, families with young women and she um, feeds upon them. She has this mother who's a countess who, like, is able to kind of pawn her daughter off on these rich nobles mm-hmm. and said, like, oh, can you take care of my daughter? And then these young women she forms these bonds with young women and then these young women start having nightmares about big cats in their rooms and then they get gradually weaker and weaker the men in their families are always like off gallivanting somewhere or they're like not taking their daughter's 
health seriously. They're like, oh, she's fine. And then these women end up dead. So in the beginning of The Vampire Lovers, Marcilla um, kills this young woman. And then she kind of like worms her way into the home of that woman's best friend, Emma. And they form kind of a like a stronger, more intimate relationship. And in that, uh, Carmilla always like makes an anagram of her name, of her original name. So it, when she's introduced to Emma, she says she's Carmilla. So I think it's pretty clear that Carmilla is more interested in Emma than she has been in these other girls. Like she's actually attached to her and she kind of she's been feeding on these young girls but it's like she wants to have a real relationship with emma and mm-hmm. emma is this like very naive sweet young girl who's like oh yes carmilla i i love to spend time with you and and carmilla's like i want to own you and be with you forever and like you're so silly emma, yeah <laughs> oh, that's crazy that's what you do with boys but she starts to feed on emma in the same way and people the people in Emma's life are getting suspicious. There's like a governess that's watching over Emma and she like starts to suspect Carmilla and Carmilla puts her under a spell. And eventually like this, all of the men in Emma's life kind of like come back and they realize what's going on and they go to destroy um, Marcilla the vampire. This movie, I, f- I felt like it was like the least like sexy stylized Mm -hmm. it was it was still like a hot movie um (laughs) but i feel like it probably was like the least interested in like a true sexual relationship between the vampire and the host which i was kind of missing i felt like the novel was more kind of like accepting of their actual relationship and Mm -hmm. like this is like Emma is trapped in nobility and Carmilla is kind of like giving her another option. Like you don't have to be trapped with these like men and these noble relationships. You can live forever with me. But I still thought it was like pretty sexy. Like I love how Carmilla kind of just stalks around playfully um, running around with these girls. She's like always trying to get everybody to strip down and like (laughs) run around and everybody's like totally like unaware of what she, Oh, and there's this like, great scene where she's reading this romance novel and it's like and the the young duke laid his manly kisses upon the lady and she's like this is the dumbest book i've ever read like yes. she's so obviously i love that part yeah, she's like obviously queer and nobody is getting it and then at the very end these like noblemen realize like oh that there's this like portrait of the vampire Marcala and they're like oh she's like staying in my house like she stayed in my house two months ago and then my daughter died yeah but anyway I I, this is probably my least favorite film of the three that we watched but I still liked it this one is like more I think like those like traditional like hammer horror gothic movies we've never done a hammer horror in this show before too which is wild wow I don't know there's so from um, the director was it Ray Ward Baker Baker um, he, I don't know if it's a hammer horror or not, but he directed another movie that I love called And Now the Screaming Starts! Exclamation point. Oh, I've never seen that one. It's ah. good. Um, it's more so like this. Uh, it, it has the same vibe, like super old. This is more classic, like gothic spookiness with the yeah. fog machines. Foggy and-, and everything feels and smells dusty. It yeah. looks like a Halloween haunted house set. Yeah. yeah. And it feels extremely British. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Even yeah. though like fetishism and all these other movies is very specific Euro sleaze, and the British version of fetishism is just women with huge tits. Huge tits. Yeah. <laughs> right. Huge heaving tits. Well, they're, like, I mean, when, like, when you said like, oh, and it, it's pretty sexy, I was just like, yeah, there were a lot of <laughs> lot giant tits. Yeah. yeah. Ingrid yes. Pitt. I mean, Ingrid Pitt's like this like gorgeous hot horror icon. Yeah. So this was like such an awesome role for her. And she did it really, really well. She kind of mm-hmm. reminds me a little bit, like, the way that she has, like, this sexual presence in her movies. It's, like, very Angelina Jolie to me. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I liked this movie. It had its funny parts. Manly Kisses really cracked me up. Like, yeah. that whole scene. <laughs> um, but it had, like, a lot of cool effects, like, especially, like, the beheading scene. Oh, yeah. I thought it was really, really cool. And I just think like it went by too fast. Like I had to like stop and like zoom in and just like the quality of that head. And it was really nice. That actually kind of shocked me because like with all these like stagey sets and these like, you know, pretty classic period costumes and like kind of spooky Halloween decor, mm-hmm. uh-huh. like the decapitation gore and like the full on sex scene. Yeah. Like stand out in contrast. You almost don't expect it to go that hard. Right. You know mm-hmm. why? Well, I, I did read a little bit where this came out right after the. UK censors like the video nasties era kind of kind of like they lifted some of the censorship oh, that, then. and mm-hmm. so like it, they kind of had free reign to show more graphic violence and nudity mm-hmm. and you could tell they kind of took advantage of that which all these 70s movies are in that era of like you know in America you had nudie cuties and roughies were like the kind of um erotic films you were allowed to show and then they started importing these European films in like the early seventies that were like basically pornography, but yeah. they were just plotty enough and just arty enough to be passed off as art films. And like that kind of snuck like nudity and like mm-hmm. actual sex into American theaters. And then like once that happened, like the taboo was just broken and like all bets were off. And I think Britain has even, I don't want to say even stricter, but like a similar like relationship with censorship as we do. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Cause yeah. like mm-hmm. the seventies in America was when you had like, major studios making like x-rated films for the first time uh, and like people were going out to see them in the theater but yeah i was still shocked just watching the like i was shocked actually reading the book as well like yeah mm-hmm. um the main passage that like really stuck out to me was one of the dreams that emma has she basically experiences her first orgasm yeah. in the dream and like her describing that in language that she understands she passes it off as a nightmare but it's like Pretty hot and heavy stuff right. for a novel from that time. Yeah. And that's kind of what I kind of wish had been. Like, I wish there was a little bit more of that in mm-hmm. the film. And I feel like there was, like, w- during their nightmares, it's definitely on the edge of, like, she could be having a nightmare or she could be having a sex dream. And she, and you know, there's a part where she's talking about the, you know, oh, the big cat in my room. And then you were there and you were giving me kisses and it was great, you know. But I just wish they had. I don't know. Maybe that would have been difficult to do. It's weird for a movie and a novel that are like so about dreams for this to be the least dreamlike one. Yeah. That's kind of odd. Yeah. Mm. But, you know. Yeah. I think my favorite part about this film was it's like the same attitude that people have towards like love letters between like old love letters between women where it's like, I can't wait to be in your arms. Like it's obvious that these people are like very intimately attached and then, like, historians look at it and say, like, oh, they were good friends, like, passing off <laughs> female Pals. intimacy 
as friendship or like not understanding how deep it can or be. Or even if there is more than it's like totally inconsequential. Like, right. Yeah. It means I think nothing. when women used to visit each other, I think in Victorian times in particular, like the man would go to the guest room and the two women would share the bed. Right. And like, yeah, that kind of like affection was just not treated as like a serious issue because there's no babies or anything to be made. Right. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that it's like Carmilla is just this like super hot vixen and like making these passes at, at women and like nobody knows what's going on she's like i hate church bells like heterosexuality <laughs> is stupid and and everybody's like oh um, yeah, okay i don't know you feel that way <laughs> well uh the one i picked um i couldn't choose between jean roland and jesus franco uh because they've both directed just dozens and dozens and dozens of lesbian vampire movies <laughs> well i was the director of this film apparently did over 150 movies total films, that which sounds right. blows my mind. And I think a significant percentage of those are lesbian vampire films, like throughout his career too. <laughs> yeah. And this is Jess Franco. Um, I think I don't think Jean Roland directed as much as him. Like I don't think 150 credits is something most people have under their belt. But he was another like prolific person in the genre. Well, one other quick thing about the director I was reading that I think is so great is he would film multiple films at the same time and then reuse footage for reuse each footage one. from like so like <laughs> some of the actors wouldn't even know that they were starring in some other film <laughs> he was God. making he was basically trying to con the production studio out of money in time and uh, i don't know i love that you just get the sense that he me. loved making movies like he was doing it i think until the 90s he was making these like movies in his apartment for like dirt cheap and i don't know no one was really caring anymore about any of them. And he didn't really care about the quality. He just liked to be working, making films while he was alive, which is really fun. Especially mm. since what he dedicated his life to was so sleazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was calling all these movies like cool and sexy and like stylish. I think he is the coolest, sexiest and most stylish out of any of them, but also the least coherent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's the least, I would say competent <laughs> sure. filmmaker of the bunch. <laughs> The one I ended up choosing was Vampiros Lesbos from 1971, which I think was his first lesbian vampire film. And also just with that title and this topic, it seemed like a natural yeah. fit. Right. You mentioned earlier that only one of these movies references Dracula. Mm-hmm. This is the one. Yeah. This vampire is inheriting Dracula's estate after he's died. <laughs> like she was kind of his protege yeah he's obsessed with her body yeah well (laughs) and she absolutely despises men because like the way she met dracula was she was being raped and he like fought the men off and then like saved her life by turning her into a vampire she likes to lure women to her like vampire island hot turkish island yeah (laughs) by um staging these burlesque shows that like seduces women from the audience and then they come see her and in this particular so case, good. she seduces this German businesswoman who's actually helping her, you know, do the legal legwork for Dracula's estate. N- none of this matters. This movie's <laughs> plot is like so inconsequential. It's all about the style. If it's not the first scene, very early on, there's like an eight and a half minute burlesque performance where she is posing in front of a mirror. So already it's like women doubled. She's like kind of seducing herself in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And um, the only other prop on the stage is a living human being. It's this naked woman holding a candelabra. Um, and she, you know, dances over to the naked woman and she puts her underwear on the naked model and then lays the model down 
and then just sort of like sits on her. But like pretends like she's a mannequin. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. She poses her body. Well, she does the same dinner show performance like twice, right? Yeah, like, get mm-hmm. same performances repeated later. Yeah. So if you if you miss the first one, it <laughs> yeah. comes again and it's just as long. And there's like <laughs> super stylish jazz like playing on the soundtrack and he likes to intercut these images of a kite flying, yeah. a scorpion walking yeah, pool suit. Oh, the pool scorpion. The oh. fucking zooms. Oh, the <laughs> zooms. <laughs> Always zooming. Either zooming out. Never a static Zooming out, shot. zooming in. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't. And it's like not uh, clean. No. Zoom is very yeah. like jarring and shaky. And the camera like, work is bad. In no, this it's movie. great. It's, it's chaotic. <laughs> oh my god! There's one scene where he zooms in through like the arm of a lacy cape of the vampire, and it's that's cinema. <laughs> or like yeah. the shot of the model with her like legs open on the ground, and the other actress's face comes in in the foreground oh, between yeah. her oh, yeah. legs, and it, she's not actually like putting her face between the woman's legs, but like the suggestiveness of that positioning is like so trashy and so sleazy <laughs> and i was actually thinking a lot we, we rented this on alamo draft house on demand and it reminded me so much of the very last movie we rented for that on this show which was the giallo homage to vertigo um, perversion story that we both loved and you and i right? loved we it liked it i believe hana was cool on it and then james <laughs> hated it and i imagine this got the same reaction all around <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but i loved this movie <laughs> no not quite like I'm on board with the like sort of incompetent, but like <laughs> sort of experimental Gonzo. weirdness of it and reading his backstory and his approach to filmmaking really endeared me to him mm-hmm. more. And like for large stretches of the film, it was a hoot where I started to take issue is when it there's these scenes where like these doctors in these men are like talking about her diagnosis mm-hmm. and then the film actually becomes like a normal film there's like static shots of like <laughs> them just like talking and, like it becomes like a quote-unquote competently made and then it just like totally bored the shit out of me okay. yeah there's like a freudian mental hospital mm-hmm. like kind of pathologizing women's sexuality in the wild last wallpaper half. yeah like and it's not yeah yeah that's not the most exciting stuff but but that happens towards like the end of the film when it should have really been like really dialing in on the weird art house yeah. surreal stuff and like yeah. i really loved the first you know 30 45 minutes and then when these guys come in and it's like a normal movie where they're talking about her i'm like all right could we, they could have replaced that with like a third dinner show performance <laughs> yeah like, that's fine that would have been totally. great of the or, same performance or just more sex or that <laughs> this movie does have like lengthy like Lots erotica of... scenes what's so funny about this movie is the vampire does a lot of sunbathing yep <laughs> um so it really plays around with the lore yeah. you know i did notice that about mo- like none of these films have a coherent like vampire lore like no. if you took them all together it's like i have no idea what can and can't hurt because yeah. it's not based on Dracula, it's based yeah. on Carmilla, and it's based on Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. So I guess they're not like constrained to the same rules. Maybe. But also, it's a convenient way to get women naked in the sunlight, like which is totally. you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say that you know ethically these movies aren't just like ogling women because they yeah. are. Oh, they definitely are. They're <laughs> packaging them beautifully. But I, I liked the misandry of the main vampire woman is like very pronounced in this. Yeah. Which, you know, is condescending to lesbians. Like, lesbians are not man-hating, like, 
succubuses who like steal women away from men by like making them mentally ill, right. which is something that does happen in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, her scenes where she's like, I fucking despise men. They disgust me. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Uh, I love that it just went there in every respect. It is, yeah. it is completely unchecked, just sleaze. Yeah. It yeah. also had like a lot of like, in relation to uh, Daughters of Darkness, had a lot of good outfits. Oh yeah, the the fashion mm. was awesome. Oh Especially yeah, her, which, yeah, her like which black outfit? lace, like short, beautiful, like uh, yeah, it was. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I wish there was just like a coffee table book of everything she wore. Like even her like lingerie, like. I didn't even know they made those types of bras like in the seventies, where it's like a bra without a bra. Yeah, it's like the balconette, like the low yeah. balconette. Like yeah, she had, like the low balconette, and was sharing it. She was like, "I want you to yeah, wear it too." Here you wear also a mannequin. I, that is like very fetishistic about the underwear, like not only to wear it, but like to yeah. like to put dress someone else in right. your underwear. I don't know. I know. I, like, did that really happen? Like those types of dinner shows, like in you I know. Think so. Yeah, I would, I would love it if yeah. they would bring those back. Can you imagine having a steak dinner? I watched one set that in New Orleans this dreams. year that also has a terrible reputation and is like a five-star classic to me uh, <laughs> called Mardi Gras Massacre. Um, oh. And it's like the same setup. There's like all these like repetitive burlesque shows that were like kind of dinner theater style on yeah. Bourbon Street. Oh, And, you know, there's this serial killer who keeps abducting like... He goes into bars and he's like, I want the dirtiest woman here. Oh, and he no. takes them back and like sacrifices them to oh, a Mayan god. god in his like apartment. Uh, <laughs> if you like this movie, I recommend Mardi Gras Massacre okay. as well. <laughs> well, and you touched on something. I think you called the mu- the music like jazzy. And I, like Prog? to me, it was more like psycho- mediocre yes. psychedelic. Because they were those heavy drum beats where it was like, whoa. And that to me was one of the most appealing aspects of it was like i don't know this early era psychedelia with the like the surreal incompetent images so the the soundtrack was re-released in the 90s Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Vampiros Lesbos Sexadelic Dance Party. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't oh, it reach go. like the top 10 in Britain or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Whoa. like a dance hit. Yeah. I love, like, love that's what's hard to convey about this is like, yeah, the plot gets, you know, more simple and like static as it goes along. But like, there are shots of just a drop of blood suspended mm-hmm. on a plane of glass while like crazy psychedelic right. dance music is playing yeah. Yeah. and I'm just sitting there like this is amazing the, I do love the motif does not the, matter the kite motif like every time I was like right. what? what is that <laughs> why yeah. right like the scorpion and the butterfly are pretty easy to decipher but then the yeah the kite I was like why, why is the, the scorpion in the pool I don't he, know <laughs> but I, it's dead that and the zoom like <laughs> The zooms really just fucking killed me because there was a stretch of like 20 minutes where every single shot had a zoom. And I felt like I was like getting whiplash. Yeah. Like, and in the same shot, it like zooms in and zooms out. It was. And I read where the director said like he likes zooms because it adds to the realism. True. What? Does it? (laughs) No. I don't agree. The one thing that really bothered me about this, but it kind of bothered me about all of these films, is like I wanted so badly for I can't remember this this woman's the blonde woman's name. I just wanted them. Linda. I wanted Linda, Linda to like be in the coven. I wanted they, her. She yeah. kind of takes over. I thought she like becomes more powerful than the right. But they take over, but they're said, never allowed to just like be, be together. together. Right. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, I don't want to become like you. And then she's. Mm. 
stabs her through the eye. Like, I just wanted them to be like, yeah. That's it's kind of oh, a classic. Break the spell, though, the vampire spell when she did that. I know that's, I might have made that's that kind up. of the classic dynamic of these like queer yeah. like, genre Which films. Is like, is like yeah, it's the a main seductress character has to be punished for yeah. like, her perversion, and it makes me so sad. Yeah. I just wanted them to be like in Turkey being vampires, and together. that was kind of um, refreshing about the Carmilla as well. I mean, I, I just read that this week, but like, it was not very judgmental. Like, yeah, exactly. Even though she has a body count, it's just something she kind of does. And, right, like, like, well, I gotta live. The main mm-hmm. girl, like. Emma, she still misses Carmilla at the end. Yeah. She's not like judging her for, you know, being a monster or right, anything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think nice. it's very sweet. But yeah, this, it, I started off very skeptical of this, <laughs> but it was just so stylistically insane and fun. It's just like, I could not help myself. But- there were a lot of shots that were just out of focus. Like, <laughs> that bothers you way more than me. No, no, no I mean, <laughs> It didn't bother me. It was just something I know. Like, wow, that's not even in fo- like half these shots aren't even like in focus. Okay, like that's the same thing as perversion story. I just love that like they would just went out and like just played with camera equipment. No, and that's what that's where my struggle is too. It's like on the one hand, I love that DIY attitude. We're like, we're gonna make a fucking movie. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter on whatever budget. You cannot cannot expect a polished product if that's something you love. Right. Though. On the other hand, I'm like, I know what like a great movie technically should look and feel like. And this is not that. So I'm having like an internal struggle. This movie makes me realize that someone can put like a red or pink chiffon scarf over a lamp and zoom in and out on that for an hour with yeah. psychedelic music playing in the and background. It's thrilling. And I'll smile the whole time. Yeah. This is a movie. Right. Well, all these films are from 1970 and 1971 mm-hmm. so far. We have one outlier that's an American film from the 80s to wrap it all up. Yeah, and it's uh, The Hunger, directed by Tony Scott. His enough. first film and his best, IMO. But <laughs> I, I like Beverly Hills Cop. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, I think when it first came out, was like kind of had mixed reactions, whatever. But it's since become kind of this cult classic in the goth mm-hmm. uh, community. And I had heard about it over the years, but never actually saw it. And this felt like the perfect opportunity to check it out. So the story revolves around these two vampire lovers, Miriam and John. And uh, Miriam is played by Catherine, Catherine Deneuve. Deneuve. Yeah. And John is played by David Bowie. <laughs> Although as you'll see, He's only really David Bowie for a little bit of this film, and then he's under a pound of makeup. (laughs) Um, But she is this ancient Egyptian vampire, and he is this like classical cellist uh, from, I guess, the 18th century. He's from France. And from France, and they're these lovers, and he is under this assumption that he will be young forever. That's kind of the contract they have as vampires. And he starts to age rapidly and he's freaking out, wondering why the hell is this happening? Meanwhile, doctor played by Susan Saranda is doing research on sleep and aging and trying to reverse the aging process. And so he seeks her out as he's basically like aging years in an hour to the point where he becomes completely grotesque. And beyond even what any of us could imagine old age looks like. And 
the doctor sort of blows him off and eventually he passes away and the doctor played by Susan Sarandon starts a relationship with Miriam and then it becomes I, I was sort of struggling in the beginning like is, is this a le- lesbian vampire film in the second half of it uh did you say he passes away? He doesn't so much. He pass. does not die. He he, he becomes well, basically. He loses eternal youth, but keeps eternal life. <laughs> yeah, he's still. She followed through on her promise. Well, she just didn't fill in the details. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she, she boxed him up with the other guys. Yeah, she locked lumbering around all the, the house toys in like the attic, yeah. Miriam, kill me, but, uh, release me. So, I want to start off by saying the first like ten minutes of this film. I like my eyes were <laughs> just oh like God. just so wide open because it is one of the yeah. most frantic stuck in a Bauhaus video. The yeah, whole beginning time. <laughs> you have this like juxtaposition of like this like gothic underground dance party. It's Bauhaus playing um, Bella Bell Lugosi's, Lugosi's Dead, and then you have like David Bowie <laughs> and Catherine Demarene, whatever, like seducing this couple and drinking their blood, and the editing is so like wild and it's like early MTV. Like yeah, every image has to be like the most striking thing you've ever seen. And then it keeps like outdoing itself. Yeah. Yeah. So the film is so like cool and stylistic and atmospheric. Like we've talked about It's just from that to then you get into the, the aging stuff, which I found hilarious. <laughs> like David Bowie's really only himself for a small part of this movie and then they just pile on the makeup and he gets more and more decrepit. He can't like take care of himself. He's falling down the stairs. Hilarious in what way though? Because I think there's something like <laughs> tragic about casting one of the most beautiful people in the world or like three of the most beautiful people in the world and then focusing so much on their good looks like fading away in real time. Like it is sad to like watch someone's so gorgeous like fall apart like that i i mean i think maybe i just have a morbid sense yeah. of humor we're <laughs> like we're watching him age rapidly. yeah yeah it's like i was gonna come to this later but i thought the like ideas in this film were actually really potent the idea of like youth and eternity and aging and dying like it had so many interesting thoughts that popped into my head but like the actual image of David Bowie lumbering around right. <laughs> under all this makeup, I did find like pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. And then once the actual lesbian love story starts, the movie like really drew me in. And there's the tension between the two lead actresses. I like, and the pivotal mm. like sex scene was like really erotic to me. And like actually, there's very, real chemistry there. Yeah. Real chemistry yeah. and very sexy. And the whole film, like, with the score and the way it looks, it's cool. Mm-hmm. It's, like, so cool. And then, to me, the climax of the film is bonkers. And I started to, like, <laughs> I thought I knew what was going on. And then when the corpses of all her ex-lovers come up and they trade blood, I guess, and then they turn to dust, I was like, oh, maybe I don't quite understand this universe of the rules of this world and then i do feel like the very end of the film undermines everything that happened before and that's i think what ultimately took it down a peg for me is like 
the whole journey was Susan Sarandon's character does not want to be a vampire. Yeah. And she's tricked into it and she rejects it at the very end. But then we get this like coda where she's like living. Because they were trying to set it up Living for a it sequel. up as a vampire. And it's oh, like, is that what it was? Oh, totally. I guess. Because yeah. I, I, I remember reading something about that because it feels weird where it would have been such a better ending without that. And that yeah. kind of I forget that's it. even there and I don't really care that and it's And I there. think it's because <laughs> they wanted to set up for a sequel that was just like never made. But that, I mean, that's the last shot of the film. It means something. It's where we end the story. Yeah. It's kind of a standard like she's taken over her spot and, you know. The curse lives on in another person. But that, the whole point was she didn't want that. Yeah. She rejects it. And then it's like, well, no, she'll she'll do it anyway. So that bothered. But overall, I think this is like an extremely cool, stylistic, uh, sexy. Yeah. Again, like I found parts of it to be very operatic. And I found parts yeah. to be like a little silly and parts also to be extremely gruesome. Like there's stuff with the monkey Oh, the aging yeah. and oh. that like really bothered yeah, me that like on really a very deep level and that's yeah. all shown in like closed circuit television so it's yeah. like very 80s video art i don't know there's just like this like mm-hmm. nasty like static and, and there, there is this also like the subplot with a detective who's in like three scenes investigating <laughs> the murder does not matter don't need no. it there <laughs> so important. like okay i'll open it up to y'all overall i felt like i'm so conflicted about this where there were parts of it mm. i think I love so much from a style standpoint, from an overall story, a like full story of a film. I don't think it like is a classic, but I understand why people love this movie and why it became so renowned. I think it's still divisive. I think a lot of people basically have had the same complaint for this movie Mm -hmm. since it came out, which is that it's all style and no substance. And to that, I say, Fuck yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Who needs that is my genre. Like, and I used to call this like one of my favorite movies ever in high school. And I just haven't seen it since. And I had the same experience with The Cell, which I rewatched, I think, mm-hmm. last oh, week. Oh, God. And That's a great movie. And yeah. just over time, I've just heard, you know, like, oh, the movie looks great. It, it's got like, but it's so stupid and so vapid. And none of the shit matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over time, I'm like, well, I guess it's not one of my favorite movies. I guess it's like not that yeah. important. I was wrong. And watching it again, I'm like, this is still like one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> like, every shot is so impeccably crafted. And it's just so beautiful. And I think it actually does a really good job of telling a story visually. Like mm-hmm. the dialogue is all very hushed and it doesn't really need to do much heavy lifting because the story is like watching Bowie age in real time and they like locked away in the attic and then like watching this new lover get ro- roped into the, his old routine. Like maybe the payoff isn't what most people would want out of like a narrative, but like the journey being told completely in like this like flashcard style where you just like totally get what's happening just from the visual cues. Mm-hmm. I was um, impressed in that way. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just think it looks cool as hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially in that like early eighties MTV style of filmmaking. Like I think and it does that extremely well. I didn't really realize this till the recent watch of it, but like speaking of MTV, how it kind of starts off with this music video. Yeah. It ends with it. Kind of too. Like it reminds me of that Michael Jackson like short film music video where mm-hmm. he has all the ghosts and the zombies and stuff like that. I think it's just called Ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> it reminded me of that so much. Like where they're them all in like the stairwell and the the slow wind blowing through like all their gauze, whatever the hell they have on. I, 
I mean, the style over substance thing, I think, is like the main debate about Mm -hmm. this film. And like the reason the no substance bothers me is like it does actually have. I think this has substance. It has substance in that it brings up really interesting ideas and there's absolutely no payoff. And it's like if you're going to do all style, that's cool. But Mm -hmm. like this is like all style. With like some a, substance, a little bit yeah. of substance, <laughs> well, but we're not yeah. going to really flesh out those ideas. And that bothers me because I feel like there is at the heart of this film, a truly great mm-hmm. classic, like what should be the best lesbian vampire movie of all time. And it just falls, <laughs> falls back on the style. And that to me is a little underwhelming. Yeah, I think that like the thing that stuck out the most about the hunger, what it was like the central like idea or metaphor that it's trying to um, talk about with vampirism. Like I, f- I feel like the other three are like Carmilla is very much about like corrupting bloodlines and nobility, like that old fear of miscegenation. Um, and the, the other two films are also, it's like these women being seduced out of relationships with men and like into these like covenish communities. And this mm-hmm. is like, it's not even really about to me it wasn't as much about like sexuality or like female sexuality and relationship like the focus was on the aging definitely which is actually like i feel like that is not like vampire movies don't focus on that unless it's like i am going to live forever and outlive everybody that i love and i guess that was her predicament but like the eternal aging without death I feel like hasn't really been tackled as much. I think it takes seriously something that like sounds vapid on its face, which is like the beauty of youth. Yeah. And how fucking sad it is that, you know, we can't hold on to that. Like it, it just yeah. slips through your fingers. Yeah. And when people say they want to live forever, like what does that actually mean? You don't actually want to live forever. You God, want no. to stop you aging. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You wanna, yeah. It's more about you want to stay young right. forever, not you. Right. Yeah. When you see David Bowie's. <laughs> predicament towards the end you're like i don't want that like kill me please and i think that's why that was so funny to like saying out loud that david bowie like wandering around the apartment after her saying like kill me Miriam," is it's like it doesn't say (laughs) but it, it was funny to me it's like this thing like you didn't read the fine print of the contract right basically and then she's just like oh well it's happening again she like gathers up his body and puts it in a coffin she she had the coffin ready she knew she's like be kind to him everybody you know he's new here but it was a pretty solemn ritual i thought like she like actually cares about these people yeah eyeball thing right Uh, but she also like doesn't care enough to stop doing it to not do it yeah (laughs) Yeah, right or tell them the truth right what part of his betrayal that he's like really heartbroken about is like you probably have a replacement picked out already right yeah he knows that she does Yeah. yeah it's like you've been doing this Four centuries. I like kind of hate that. Like I didn't pick up on that when I initially watched it. I initially got this movie when I was in high school because um, my best friend and I were obsessed with David Bowie, and we had like one of those film catalogs where you can like order, mail order movies, and we found this one. I'm like, holy shit, it's a vampire movie, and David Bowie's in it. Oh my god, your mom has to get that for us. So we got it. And I remember, like, that first 10 minutes of, you know, the Bauhaus music video, we were like, holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) Wow, look at David Bowie being all hot and stuff. Cool, cool. And then, like, 
he's just like really not in it. And I think after that, we're like, oh, now it sucks. <laughs> and we just kind of like never pay attention to those like middle parts and found it to be very boring. And I think when I remember this movie, I always think of like vibrancy and like cool shit in the beginning, especially like the Egyptian component to this, like the Egyptian vampire lore and the onk slits mm-hmm. I thought was so cool. And it just like lulls out. But when I watched this again in like my early 20s, I was like, oh, it actually really is good. I had like this new lens on it, but I never really took the aging part of it mm-hmm. into consideration until like this most recent watch. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that's kind of cool, too. Yeah. I-, I just never really picked up on it. Yeah. Then there's also like an AIDS component to what's happening, totally. too. Yeah, yeah like, the blood, fighting the blood. Where there were people who were like watching like all the young people in their lives like rapidly age and yeah. fade away yeah um i don't know interesting i'm usually on the other side where i find stuff funny <laughs> like it's <laughs> supposed to be serious but like i i guess i saw this young enough that like i passed my like defenses where i'm just like i i don't know i think this movie is heartfelt in a way where mm-hmm. like maybe there are things that i could poke at narratively that like aren't structurally smart but just the overall like mood of the piece matters more to me than that yeah and it's also kind of mind blowing to go back to the very beginning of who this was directed by, by Tony Scott. When you look at his filmography, it's like Top Gun, Top Gun, Days of Thunder. There's those like Denzel Washington movies, Unstoppable. Domino um, is like one of the worst movies I've ever Domino, seen. Like what happened? That's but- what's so like those films are visually stylistic from what I remember, but it doesn't have the... I don't know the energy that this one has. They are highly stylized to the point where like right now people are trying to reclaim him as this like vulgar auteur. Um, And they're like, he was actually this like visual genius that like wasn't respected for pushing the art form of mainstream filmmaking, you know, like this high style art house area. And to that, I'm just confused why this movie that actually does that is like not respected. What I'll say of all those films that I've seen, a good chunk of them like this is the best yeah but so. you know by a pretty wide margin but like the vulgar auteur stuff um usually is like focused on it's like paul w s anderson or um yeah uh michael bay or somebody like that they're actually looking for like shitty movies to be like this is great <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's hard to do that with this movie because it is a little more up yeah. its own ass <laughs> than some of those films this isn't top gun like it's not people in volleyball outfits and Air Force uniforms looking sexy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to end on like a any sort of sour note with this. Like I had heard about it again, saw it for the first time mm-hmm. like a few days ago. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. Like it's mm-hmm. so visually interesting and stylistically interesting and make of the narrative yeah. what you will. You know, you can have that debate, but like you should definitely seek this movie out. Yeah. And I did. I mean, I found... A lot, like a lot of the David Bowie stuff, funny. But I do think that this film has like a real heart to it. Like it totally. I mean, it's not a farce, and I think like Susan Sarandon's relationship with Catherine Deneuve is super interesting and and fleshed out. So yeah, I it, I thought it was beautiful and in substance and style. I think Daughters of Darkness is kind of similar. Like mm-hmm. there are things to laugh at in it, but you know. It is like a high style film that like actually does really beautiful like art house stuff, um, yeah, visually totally. at least. 
I would put Vampiros Lesbos in a much sillier category, <laughs> but uh, it's at least trying to do something like visually spectacular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was the last one? The Vampire Lovers? Maybe not yeah. as like high <laughs> reaching as far as like the visual stuff goes, yeah. but I don't know. All these movies were great. I had yep, a great yeah. time with I this set. This was extremely my shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This yeah. is a good, good topic. Yeah, I like yeah. was not enthusiastic going into it. And uh, after every movie, I was be? like, I don't, I don't know, just like, I didn't think it'd be my thing. And after every movie, I was like, that was a good movie. I like that. And there were a couple where I was like, that was really good. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be cool. And it might exist in the vampire lesbian film realm that is apparently much larger than I thought. Um, but a movie that's more like, um, like a Bram Stoker's Dracula, but like with a lesbian relationship that isn't like hypersexualized would be kind of mm-hmm. interesting. Even though like vampires are like the sexy monster, but you know what I mean? Just kind of like a more like old school. I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool to see a movie like that. I'd be curious if we could put together enough movies for like a gay male. Vampire yeah. We panel. were talking about that actually. I, I was saying if- like, I do you know of one? I know interview with a vampire <laughs> yeah. has some homoeroticism to yeah. it. And then there's uh, also a hardcore sex film. I don't know if we, we haven't breached that um, divide yet. Let's like, just watch it. Uh, there's one called Gay Racula. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah um, a lot of like gay vampire, I, I'm thinking like True Blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those episodes, but not like film. Is it explicit in the Anne Rice novels? I've never read those, but like the Lestat stuff. I felt so. I mean, I haven't read them since Do I was in high school. Do the men have sex, I guess is what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Or do they, they seduce each other romantically? Flirting. I just remember like the descriptions of like their bodies and mm. like their presence being super homoerotic. I don't know if there was any like like penetration or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, we did mm-hmm. um, Queen of the Damned already, I'll, so we probably should do Interview with the again. Vampire. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Can we see? Please <laughs> yes. watch it. Again. I've never seen Interview with the Vampire, so not in a long time for me it's so. good yeah. hazy memories yeah that's um trixie from problem child 2 was almost going to play claudia oh wow but her mom was like head. no so yeah. anyways i did not expect two references to problem child 2 today they <laughs> 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 yeah. came up anyway yeah. should be an interview with the vampire oh my god yeah we should yeah definitely look at like gay men vampire movies yeah. and then uh that's a vast universe i would love it if there was a gay new metal I, vampire movie. I <laughs> just like take me now. That's that, all I want. That's your ideal. Me and Hannah sort of talked about this, but like, I wonder if there's reasons why the lesbian vampire flick is so prevalent and the male isn't. Well, it's harder to sell to movie producers, like well, the men who have money to produce the stuff are uncomfortable. Want to see yeah. naked women? Yeah, yeah no, that was like women. the surface thing. We kind of talked, but I feel like there's a lot of reasons why that would be interesting to. Sort yeah. of delve into vampires are like some of my favorite monsters just because oh, totally. they're so involved with sex and you can like talk about all of these like fears about sex and you know like disease you can talk talk about miscegenation like mixing bloodlines mm-hmm. um so and and even like fears of aberrant sexuality or like sexuality that is threatening to the like the social order which i feel like like this is the perfect example of that just like queer female relationships are like scary to men that want to own women and have babies so i'm so glad that we yes. got to watch all of these beautiful movies i wonder if like between this and like nunsploitation 
I can't think of a third example. Like this has to be like one of the most like prominent examples of like lesbian sexuality on screen yeah. throughout the decades too. Yeah. Kind of framing it in like a classic literature sense with Carmilla and then just right. like sort of like genre filmmaking in general. Like it seems like people kind of got away with a lot. Right. Yeah. Like this is an avenue where they can make films about that. Yeah. And, and, and mm. like mass produce it, which is, mm. I think, fantastic. There's definitely like some straightforward titillation stuff in there too. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, is kind yeah, of a sleazy yeah, 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 yeah. genre at the same yeah, yeah. time. And <laughs> that like gray area makes it more fun. Too. I, mean, I yeah. saw a lot of breasts. Yeah. In yep. these yeah. And then, yeah, <laughs> me and James were like, wow, look, look at those breasts. Oh, oh my God. And then there's we were more. like, we're, yeah, there's another one. Yeah. Where that came from. Just like totally falling victim to the male gaze. But it's, I don't know, but it's also like more complicated than, I don't know. It's just cool, cool experience. Mm hmm. Speaking of like morally queasy sexuality in films, um, we're returning to one of our uh, accidental frequent topics on this show with uh, incest next week. We're talking about <laughs> Stoker, the uh, Park Chan-wook movie. That's oh, a great yeah. movie. Yeah. We're doing that um, on the Land Yap episode um, next week. I'm excited to get into it. Nice. And in the meantime, check us out on SwampFlix.com. Mm, please give us a recommendation. And recommend movies to us at our email address, please. which I will not repeat. <laughs> <laughs> you already heard it. You know it. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.